Well, it is great to be together. It is great to see all of you, those of you who are here in person. Also good to welcome those who are not together right here in the room, but maybe in one of our other venues, like our classic venue. Welcome to you and our response venue, our Moon Campus, those of you who are watching in through that means. Or maybe you are even watching online today, wherever this is catching you. We're just glad that you are together. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a privilege to bring God's Word to you today in a sermon series that we're calling Equipped. We've been in this for a few weeks, and we take it the next step today. As we get started in this, though, I've got a question for you, or I've got a a, a circumstance. Do you ever struggle with difficulties and challenges that exist in life, and you come up against them and you think, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to handle this or to get over this or get past this. That's been an inspiration for inventors and entrepreneurs to bring us new products. I'm sure that these are things that you have experienced and seen and things that we can actually be grateful for. For instance, because of that, somebody said there's got to be a better way when it comes to diapers. And now somebody has actually invented these smart diapers. Smart, this is one brand. A smart diaper is where they insert like this strip inside of them, and so it sends an alert to your phone when the dynamic inside the diaper changes. Let's just put it that way, okay? It sends an alert to your phone. Do we really need this? I mean, haven't diapers been sending alerts to our noses for years? (laughs) I think we already have this kind of taken care of. Or who doesn't want a cat? I mean, really. Right? Who doesn't want? But unfortunately, some people can't have a cat because of allergies or some other reason, like common sense, right? Who doesn't want a cat, though? If you have an allergy, but you'd still like a cat, now there's a solution. You can get the Mars cat. It's called the Mars cat. It's this cute little adorable robot toy that is one that has the same sort of behaviors that a normal cat would have. You can actually program this cat for all of the same sort of cat behaviors, the same sort of cat personality sorts of traits. There are three settings. There's lazy and snooty and narcissistic. You can program it for any of those you want. But when people have come to the place to say, there's got to be a better way, people, it's been a good thing because people have come up with inventions that have helped us in our lives. But I think it goes beyond that. Because as we think about there's got to be a better way, I believe it also applies in other realms like our lives, like attitudes and like behaviors that we would enter into. And today that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about attitudes and behaviors that we might take on, that we might see, that we might live by. But specifically, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today speaks of it in sort of negative, uh, negative terms. And we see some attitudes on display, some behaviors on display, some, some evil and some oppression and some working against those who were simply trying to make their way forward in their spiritual lives. We see this on the part of some people that we're told about in a letter that is contained within the New Testament. And I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to it. It is 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. We're going to look at the end of chapter 2 today. And I'd encourage you to have a Bible or a Bible app or something open in your lap you can follow along with because it'll help you because we're just going to make our way through these verses here. 
The people exhibiting the behaviors that we're thinking about here are ones who had come into the church of that day, and they had presented themselves as being spiritual authorities and, and ones who should be listened to, teachers, and, and uh, even some were suggesting that they were pastors that were coming in at that time, and, and that they should be listened to, and that people should follow what they were teaching, but they weren't teaching truth. They were teaching their own version of truth that they had made up. And so Peter refers to them as being false teachers. They were serving their own purposes, their own greed, and their own self-serving interests. So Peter writes to warn them, to warn them so that the people that were receiving his letter were people in the church who these false teachers are trying to lead astray by these behaviors and attitudes, trying to draw them into those same behaviors and attitudes so that they don't fall prey to that. He says... You shouldn't follow after them because there's a better way. There's a better way, and that's what we're actually calling this sermon here today. I'm wondering, as you consider where you're at, the circumstances of your own life, the direction that you're headed, the things that are true of you, the characteristics of your own spiritual walk, is there anything, any place, anywhere that you might say, you know what, I think there's probably a better way. I've fallen into this trap, or I have this pattern, this behavior. I think there might be a better way. So this passage ultimately is talking about these people who are trying to lead others astray. But through it, we can learn a number of things about ourselves. Because we're ones who can be also influential in the lives of other people, as well as influential in our own lives. We can lead ourselves astray. And so what we find here is a better way that is being promoted for us, and we're going to see it in a number of different examples. And in each case, there's a place that we can go that is better than the place that's described. And in each case, what I want to do, to you, or do with you is really just very simple. I want to point out the wrong and then suggest to you, here's what the right might be. Here is a better way. In each case, there's a trade-off that goes on, or a trade that has to happen. And so that's what basically makes up the outline that you have. That's what we're going to process our way through to, to get these truths to drive home for ourselves. So first of all, the first of them is that we would trade instinct, okay? Now, exactly what we trade instinct for, we're going to get to in just a minute. But first of all, what is the problem with the instinct in, in, to begin with, and how is it harmful? So let's take a look at this. It comes right in these first verses of our passage. Go ahead and see if you can discover it as I read some of this for you. Beginning in the second half of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Peter writes this. He writes, bold and arrogant. He's writing about these false teachers now, these evil influences. Bold and arrogant, he calls them. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish." as a way to demonstrate just how bold and arrogant these false teachers are, they say that they're brash enough to actually go ahead and criticize angels, to heap abuse on celestial beings, on heavenly beings. He's talking about angels. Because they saw, thought so much of themselves that they can go ahead and speak in that way. These are angels that have been created by God, we're told, a little higher than humans. 
Even other angels, the text says, aren't daring enough to go ahead and criticize the ones that these human false teachers are tearing down. That's how brash and bold they are. It's a clear demonstration of the pride that fills their heart, and it's totally misplaced on their part because he says that these guys are actually blaspheming in areas that they don't know anything about. Blaspheming in matters that they don't even understand, but I guess if you're making up your own truth, nothing is off limits and how far you might go. This idea of sounding off in areas that we don't even understand, though, sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? I mean, do you know anybody who kind of sounds off on things, has bold things to say in areas where really they don't even understand? I've seen this in many, many different places. I can remember a time all the way back to high school. I was on the basketball team, and some of us were sitting around after a game, and there were some other people from the school that were there as well, and we were kind of talking about the game, and we hadn't played very well, and we lost. And there was this one kid who wasn't on the team who was sitting there, and he starts to badmouth the coach. He talks about how rotten a coach he is, and, and if he knew more, then we wouldn't have lost the game, and he's just a lousy coach, and that this kid who didn't even play basketball could coach better than that guy could. And so one of the teammates who was sitting there said, well, why don't you tell the coach? And the guy said, well, if I had the chance, I would. The guy who suggested he talk to the coach could act, was actually sitting in the spot. He could see the door in the back. He said, well, you've got your chance. The coach walked in about three minutes ago. <laughs> and uh, so the egg was kind of on his face. And that, but he was speaking about things that he didn't know anything about. And sounding off on those sorts of things are things that we hear around us all the time. In fact, it seems to me that that could probably be a great tagline for social media. People sounding off on things that they really don't know anything about. Because you see it all the time. They're talking like they have authority and, and knowledge. It used to be that you had to have authority and knowledge in order to have a platform to speak from. But that's not true anymore. All you need is a Twitter account or a Facebook account. And you can say whatever you want and people are all the time. And the collective voice has the power to influence viewpoints and shape culture. And it is. And it is. It's a form of false teaching that Peter never envisioned when he was writing. But interestingly enough, the same attitude that he's talking about here with these false teachers is very much the same attitude that we see displayed all around us today that leads people to act and respond and, and speak in the way that they do. In fact, Peter describes it in a singular way. He says they're operating out of instinct. He says it's like an unreasoning animal, just does what seems right to him to do, just what he knows to do. But operating out of instinct is, is much of why our world, I believe, is in the turmoil that is, it is in today. Because people just do what feels right or natural in the moment. So if you're angry, vent it. Post something. If you feel offended, retaliate. Get back at the person who posted in the first place. Some counselors will even tell you, be sure that you don't just hold it in. You've got to let it out. You've got to be true to yourself. You've got to express your desires, they would say. 
The problem is that the desires are being driven by the sin nature. See, our instinct is to act according to our sin nature. And the more that we do that, the more that we offend, and the more that we're offended. And so the more that we retaliate, and we're just in this deadly cycle where we're just seeing people separated more and more and more. And that's true in political parties. That's true in in racial groups. That's true in ideological positions. We're more entrenched and obstinately divided than we've ever been before. Because we're operating by instinct. We're just doing what feels right. And it's getting us nowhere, at least nowhere good. Last week we pointed out, or Peter pointed out, that living by instinct was what these false teachers were doing. And it led them to greed and selfishness. Here in this week's passage we see that they're also living by instinct. And he said what that leads them to is boldness and arrogance. Instinct holds no answers. Instinct, or everyone doing what seems right in their own eyes, isn't going to get it done. But there is another way. That's what this is all about. There's a better way. And that is that we can trade instinct, here we go, for intentionality. Trade instinct for intentionality. Intentionality says that I have come to understand the temptations that lead me to sin and greed and pride, and I'm going to make an intentional choice to go a different direction. I'm not just going to allow myself to say, this is what I feel like doing, this is what I'm going to do, but rather to say that there's a higher call that is on my life, and it's to live with intentionality instead of just instinct. I'm going to trade arrogance for humility and look to the needs and the benefits of others even ahead of my own. That's when we can start to really pursue peace, when we can seek reconciliation and see something happening in that regard. Instead of giving into the instinct like an unreasoning animal, he says here, we pursue intentionality, and that's how we live. See, denying instinct is not failing to be true to myself. It's succeeding in being true to my Savior. Denying instinct, just what I feel like doing in the moment, is not denying being true to myself. It's not failing to be true to myself. It's succeeding in being true to my Savior and what I've been called to do. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been changed. We have been made new. You might be familiar with that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has been changed. You might know that verse. You might not know what follows this verse. If you read on toward the end of this very same passage, it says that for those who are in Christ, who are new creation, there is a call on our lives. It says that we have been given the ministry of, do you know what it is? Reconciliation. We've been given the minute as believers in Jesus Christ, as new creations, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that interesting? in the world and in the context that we live in today. There's so many groups and interests that are so far apart. They're trying to make headway to come together, but they're not having any success. And the reason is because reconciliation begins with Christ. It begins with a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of living simply according to instinct, which is going to divide every time. And move toward intentionality, which says I'm going to make choices to live in ways that demonstrate humility over arrogance, that demonstrates a a willingness to listen, to hear what's being said, and to be transformed where we are. 
and where we're going. And that also means that if we are the ones as believer in Christ, if that describes you, we're ones who have a responsibility to step out and take the lead. If we're the ones who first and foremost have the answer, shame on us if we're not willing to engage in a way to apply the answer to the situation. So he says, you want a better way? Then trade instinct, just what you feel naturally like doing, just like the beast, Trade it for intentionality. You're not sacrificing anything. You're simply living by the priority of heart that God has given to you. That's the place it starts. Second key is to trade rebuke. That's where it gets started here. Sometimes evil and those who live unrighteous lives seem to get their way. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it seems like there's no consequence for them, but Peter makes sure that we understand that that's not true. Last week, in the early part of this chapter, he says that's not true, that there is going to be a consequence. Here in our text today, he comes back to it again to make sure that we understand, yes, there's going to be a consequence. There is a rebuke that is coming. Here's what he writes, beginning in verse 13. If you look at it, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done talking about those who would lead other people astray, maybe people who have had an influence in your life. This is the truth, that they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, wandering off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness." Usually when people enter into willful sin, they do it under the cloak of darkness because they don't want anybody to know. They don't want anybody to see. But in this case, it says they are so bold and so brash, they just don't care, and they're, they're engaging in these practices just out in the open. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems as though our culture is moving more and more in that direction. Where it's like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you see. This is about me. This is about what I want. This is about me just living out instinct, and that's perfectly fine, you might say. And so we see that happening all around us in the open, and unfortunately, it has the effect of empowering other people in their own point of view to say, yeah, well, now I see it there, and wherever we see it in somebody else's life, it always starts to bring behind it those who would act in very much the same way as having an influence on culture. It can shape culture, and that's some of what we see happening around us today as people are getting emboldened. That's what Peter is so concerned about. He says that their constant sinning, sinning is leading the unstable into sin. He's concerned about new believers, new converts, but the fact is it goes even beyond that because there are people who are susceptible, because they, don't, they aren't stable in their faith, and they may have been believers for months or even years. But if they haven't pursued Christ, if they haven't pursued righteousness, if they haven't deepened their faith through Bible study and through small group and other means that are available to them, they're just as susceptible. And very sadly, there are some people who have been believers in Christ who are falling into all these traps because they haven't set themselves up for success. 
Now, for these false teachers, they've got no shame. Peter says that they come right into church. They carry out all of this greed and this evil desire. And then what do they do next? He says, they sit down and have communion with you. Like they're all righteous and like they are all godly. It's all an act, but again, they won't get away with it. Verse 13 tells us they get paid back. Verse 16 tells us that they'll be rebuked like Balaam, who also worked against God's will and was called out by a donkey who was given human speech, even though it was a donkey. Would that get your attention? (laughs) If you're walking down the road and all of a sudden a donkey starts talking to you? I think so. And that's the whole point. God's trying to get his attention. Because the fact is that God loves and God cares and God desires for you to be brought from the place that you might be wandering astray to the place that he would have you to be and he'll use whatever means are necessary in order to draw you in. And that's what he does here, all the way to using a donkey that talks to get his attention. He wants him to trade the rebuke. He wants them to trade the rebuke that they're headed for for something better. And that better thing is righteousness. Trade rebuke for righteousness. See, we tend to think that people who would fall into the category of false teachers are people who've been in cahoots with Satan from the start, that they've been bent on evil ever since the very beginning. But that's not necessarily the case. It's just as likely that they got off to a good start and had some genuine spiritual interest, but then what happened is that they got lazy. And it's like instead of continuing to try to pursue God and His purposes and His desires for me, I, I kind of am a little bit too lazy to try to overcome that sin or to confess it. And so instead of confessing it and getting past it, we just start to give into it and make excuses for it and justify it. Because it's a lot easier to justify our sin by reinterpreting Scripture or by changing our heart and attitude than it is to actually make that change from within and confess our sin and find ourselves right with God yet again. But these people didn't get there all at once. This is so important for us to understand. They gradually left the straight way. Verse 15 talks about that. And wandered off because they didn't feed themselves truth. And here's here's the thing. For all of us, if we're not feeding ourselves truth and growing toward righteousness, we're growing toward the false teachers. And it's not beyond our ability to get so far away that we ourselves fall into the trap of being the false teacher. Because for us, our circumstance may be very much like that as being described by these people. And the more we allow ourselves to kind of wander away from truth or to justify our own sin, the closer and closer we get to being the ones that are being described right here. And so he would say to us also, hey, save yourself from the rebuke. Trade the rebuke for righteousness. Go ahead and pursue God. I can introduce you to people who started well toward Christ who made profession upon profession, were even demonstrating what looked like a genuine, sincere following after Jesus. But today they're walking far from Him because there was some circumstance of sin that came into their life or the life of their family. And they said, you know what? Instead of trying to change, instead of trying to encourage righteousness that I've always believed what is righteous in the past, 
It's going to be just easier to change the standard of righteousness and say this is a new day. This is a new world we live in. And so this now is certainly Jesus must have meant this. Certainly God must have been opening a door way back then, even though nobody's ever walked through the door for 2,000 years or more. It's got to be a door that he's opening now. And so we make the choice. And so we end up walking down that same deadly path, maybe ending up the same way as these people that Peter is calling out right here. It's a real possibility if we're not serious about pursuing truth. He says, trade rebuke for righteousness. And then one last step to experiencing a better way to move from what has been challenging for us to a, to a condition that all of a sudden we find ourselves pursuing that which is important. He, he starts by saying, you've got to trade futility. Trade futility. These false teachers were suggesting that they had it all. Really, they had nothing. Verse 17 says, these people are springs without water. <laughs> How useless does that sound? A spring that has no water, and mist driven by a storm. They're powerless. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. That's more of that rebuke that we were just talking about a moment ago. He's saying, again, here's just another example where he's saying that's actually going to happen. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They're seeking to deceive those who are new in their faith, it's saying. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. It's more evidence of the futility, the futile way that they are living. The lack of substance to it. Then he goes on, verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their back on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Now, there's been some debate over these verses. The basic debate is, are these people... These false teachers, were they genuinely believers in Jesus Christ to begin with, or were they never really ones who were in Christ? They were simply making a, a good show of it. It's an important question to answer, and as you look at verse 20, it talks about how they, they know Jesus, and so it sounds as though they are, and then it gets into this idea about they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning, which makes it sound like these are people then that are losing their salvation. And some have argued that, but it's a hard position to argue, especially when we know other passages of Scripture like John chapter 10, where Jesus says about believers, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. So then the other possibility is that these are people who are never genuinely believers in Jesus to begin with. Now, there's no doubt that they knew a lot about him. They knew about his life and his ministry. They knew about his death and about his resurrection. This is why they're so good at false teaching is because they could talk the talk. They knew the, the lingo. They knew what to say. But apparently there's no relationship that goes along with those words, that they're just empty. See, there's a big difference between profession of a relationship with Christ and possession of the Spirit of God. 
inside. There are a lot of people who can talk a good game. We are even people who can talk a good game. Maybe if we, if we don't even know Christ, if you've hung around it long enough, maybe you grew up in it. And you're like, I'm not sure that I've ever really made a change of heart myself, that I have possession of Christ. I've just made profession of Christ. It's something worth examination and consideration. That's what he's saying here. In my last church, there was a, a guy who came along. He just showed up one weekend, and he was expressing interest in getting involved in our singles ministry. And so we talked to him a bit, and, and the guy knew the Scriptures. He could talk a good game. He could talk about Jesus. He had all the right words. He was interested in getting into leadership there in the singles ministry. And a lot of people are like, yeah, let's throw him in. This guy's the real deal. But there was just something in, in the spirit of the leadership that said, you know what? Let's just hold off a little bit. Let's let him hang around for a little while longer. And that didn't interest him. And so he departed and we came to learn that he wasn't interested in connecting spiritually. He was interested because there was a girl in the singles ministry that interested him. And so that's what he was there for. That's what he wanted. That's what he was after. And when, we found that, when he found that that wasn't going to be in his future, he was gone. He was gone. Same thing. Talked a good game. Knew all the lingo. No regeneration in his own heart. So Peter concludes with a very vivid picture of what their lives really are. He writes in verse 22, look at it. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. All right, for how many of you is that your life verse? All right, <laughs> nobody, huh? Nobody, well, that's, that's, I guess that's no big surprise. But you've got to hand it to Peter for kind of saying it how it is here. Dogs and sows in the first century were not domesticated animals. You didn't have them as pets. Peter here is not talking about some well-groomed golden doodle. That's not what he's got in mind. These dogs are ones that would scavenge around for food wherever they could find it. And they would eat whatever they found and that, that would eventually turn their stomach sour and they would regurgitate it. And then later they would return and lick some of the... I hope you haven't just recently eaten. <laughs> this is not very appealing. And they'd lap some of that up. See, there wasn't anything beneficial in it and neither was there anything beneficial in what the false teachers are spewing. That's what he's saying. And like a sow, you could wash off a sow, but pretty soon it's going to head back to the mud and you're going to see it for what it really is. And that's what he's saying. These people, they might wash themselves up for a little while. They'll come in, they'll show themselves or pretend to be all clean and all with it and all righteous and all godly, but pretty soon you're going to see it because they can't pretend forever. It's a very vivid picture that he's given to us. But he's saying, you know what, there's a better way. You can trade that futility, which is what their lives are, which is what your spiritual life might feel like as well. It might feel like a lot of words and very little substance. He says you can trade that futility for freedom. For freedom. Verse 19 says that the false teachers were actually promising freedom to those that they were influencing. They taught that if you wanted to live greedy, 
lustful, self-serving life, guess what? You can do that with no spiritual consequence. That's a pretty winsome message to people who are wanting to justify sin instead of doing the work of actually living godly lives. said, you can do that without consequence. Of course, they were wrong. Peter said there in verse 19, they promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves, slaves, slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. True freedom, people say, in our world today, just live how you want. Do whatever you feel like doing. Go after it. Live life to the full. If it feels good, do it. Live according to your instincts. But living by instinct or however we want is actually no freedom at all. That's because living however we want is the same thing as giving in our, into our desires. And our desires betray us because our desires are towards sin. Because we have a sin nature. Living for ourselves, living by instinct, is a fast track to sin and the bondage that comes along with it. We aren't free to do whatever we want. We are slaves to our desires. Freedom is found in being able to overcome what enslaves us, to be able to overcome our sin nature, and that can only be found through Christ. It's the only thing that can break the bondage of sin and actually set us free. Scriptures say in John, says this, Jesus says, So if the Son, Jesus, S-O-N, sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the way to the freedom. It's the only way is through Jesus. The false teachers thought they had it, that they were living large, but actually they're just living futile lives headed for destruction. And the same thing is happening all around us. People who think and believe that they are on the road that has them set up. And it's just a road that's going to tear them down, ultimately. Now, it's fascinating to me that the ones here who had so little going for them are speaking with such boldness and arrogance. But it's just a testimony to how much we're able to deceive ourselves how much they deceived themselves. It was a danger for them. It's a danger for us. But thankfully, there's a better way because we can make a trade to a better way. We can trade living by instinct, by choosing intentionality, saying this is what I'm going to do because this is what I'm called to do. We can change the rebuke that will be ours if we live those lives for righteousness that can actually have a setup as being the people that we're trying to proclaim that we've been. It's just empty words. We can trade futility for genuine freedom from sin. Not pretending those things don't have hold on me anymore, but them really not having hold on me anymore. It's trading arrogance for humility. And that's the essence of what it means to follow after Christ because that's the example that he's given us himself. So, I've got an exercise for you as you go, as we take this, as we try to process it going forward. Consider an area of your life where you would find sin. What's that sin? What does it look like? What is it for you? Maybe something that just has a tendency to trip you up. 
lust, pornography, sexual immorality, lying, anger, greed, coveting. Pick something. Whatever is an area that you tend to struggle, then consider what is actually behind that sin. See it for what it is, because in addition to it being the sin itself, it's also arrogance. Because what we are saying in carrying out the sin is, God, my way is better than your way. Say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. When we choose the sin that we know is in opposition to what God would have us to do, we're sort of shaking our fist in God's face and saying, my way is better than your way. That's arrogance. Every time you sin, it's pointing out arrogance. It's also slavery because we're choosing to give in to that sin nature instead of overcoming by the Spirit's presence. And it's also a danger because we're submitting ourselves to the influence of those who are seeking after our demise. When you lie, it's a lot more than a lie. It's demonstrating, it's revealing what's going on in the depth of your being. There's really nothing good about sin, but if we could try to come up with even one thing, it would just be this, that it reveals more of what's going on inside than just getting tripped up by that one thing. It tells you a whole lot about who you are inside. It tells you where you have the opportunity and the need to progress and to move forward. And so what should we do? Well, where you find sin, confess it. Because as you do so, you're finding forgiveness from that sin itself, but you are also defeating arrogance because you're choosing humility. Because whenever we bow our knee before God, get down and pray and say, Lord, I am sorry, please forgive. We're humbling ourselves. So we're defeating the arrogance. It's so evident when we sin, when we confess, because we are seeking forgiveness, which we recognize comes only for Him. So we're humbling ourselves. We're also defeating slavery because we're finding freedom from the sin. So we're no longer a slave to that sin nature. And we're also defeating the, the traps, the darkness, the difficulty, the danger, because we're overcoming the influence that others, whether they be people, whether it would be a culture that is around us, we're defeating it by choosing victory over that sin. So do the evaluation. Do the exercise. Where is it that you have a tendency to fall into sin? Understand it for what it is and then confess it. It's a better way. And it'll take us from the place where we so often find ourselves that there's something nagging. There's something that we know is present that is keeping us back from where we need to be we can acknowledge the fact that there is a better way and we can pursue it and we can be sure we never fall into this trap, but that we can experience the victories because we will have traded instinct
for intentionality, rebuke for righteousness, and futility for freedom. I pray that we may be people living in that freedom. It's a better way. Our Heavenly Father, we live in a world that so much desires to grab us, to move us in a direction that is apart from you. Sometimes that's happening on the part of, of an individual who's got some influence over us, whether it be a teacher, whether it be a family member, whether it be a friend, whether it be social media, whether it would be a celebrity, whether it would just be culture in general, the pressures that are out there would lead us astray. There's so many things that are trying to sell us lies. But your word is giving us truth. So we thank you for what this passage has to say to us. And I pray that we would be able to take it and embrace it and see how deadly that sin is and see all of what it means about us, all of what it reveals about us as we enter in and make a different choice to go a better way to follow after you. And as we do so, to live in the fullness of all that you intend for us. Lord, we want to live full, free, thriving lives. And we can. We don't have to fake it anymore. We can be the real thing by stopping to make excuses and starting to pursue it for what it is. So Lord, pray that you give us the courage to do the evaluation and the boldness to live it out in humility to honor you, to walk in the way that you desire that we would, to experience that better way that we've been longing for. Here's the answer. May we walk in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.